As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. Now, I know last week's show was all about digging through a PDF, but I'm really excited to do exactly the same this week. If you didn't see it, National Research Group released a new study in October called Leveling the Playing Field. It's a study with the goal of putting some real data around the moment that we've all seen around women's sports right now. So Jay Kaufman, executive vice president and head of sports at NRG, and Mary Machula, global marketing and communications director, join the show today so that we can take the next step in thinking through what this might mean for the NWL, the world of women's sports as a whole. But I was especially excited to talk to them about what they've reported about media rights, since that will be such a major topic for the league coming up soon. But before we get to the rest of today's episode, as always, to show your support of Full Time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer, on our site and on our app. You can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full time. Again, it's always one of our very best deals. And plus right now we are absolutely swimming in men's World Cup coverage across the entire tournament on and off the field. So it's always the right time to subscribe if you don't already. Okay, let's let's get into all this news here. The U.S. Women's National Team finished the year with a hugely, hugely needed win, ending a three-game losing streak, their first one since 1993. This past weekend at Red Bull Arena, they gave up a first-half goal to Germany before a second-half comeback earned them the 2-1 win. First, this huge stop from Melissa Nayer to prevent anything uh, from a massive 2-on-1 chance from Germany that changed the momentum, and then Sophia Smith and Mal Pugh both scored in two minutes to give the U.S. Women's National Team the lead and the dub in their final game of 2022. I was actually at Red Bull, so here's some audio from the players in the mix zone for you. Let's start with the goal scorers. Got Sophia Smith after the match. I had actually just asked her about the high press getting cranked up to the max in the second half. I just think we just we needed to find that extra energy, and, and that comes from within us. We all have it. We just need to dig deep and find it. So we, we knew we wanted to, you know, put them, you know, under pressure, and we, we did that. And, yeah, it worked, it worked out for us. Yeah. Yeah, I would just, I don't know, like, I don't remember how it happened. I, like, blacked out. So I need to re-watch how it happened. I just saw it go in the back of the net, and obviously that's a great feeling, but I need to, like, look back on how it happened. This is that celebration, though, coming to the bench, like, it felt like there was a real energy yeah about yeah like just what was that moment like with- I think yeah I just wanted to celebrate with everyone because this team has just we've been through a lot it's been a long year and everyone plays a part in in doing what we do so I wanted to go celebrate I saw Pino on the sideline so I ran straight to her and it was just a, a moment to celebrate together but also to to talk to figure out you know the next plan and and whatnot okay next up we've got Mal Pugh uh you want me to talk about that I mean, I'm very tired right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but I mean, I think it it just comes down to just like working hard. Um, and I feel like I think I read something the other day that it was like it was like negativity is like is contagious, but so is like positivity. You know, it's like pretty cliche, and I I feel like that's the same on the field. Is like your energy is like very contagious. So 
yeah, I just felt like I was just trying to run as much as I can smart. Um, and I think that it, it was like a fire. And I feel like as a team, we just kind of caught fire and then we just kept going and we kept pressing and ultimately led to a win. Just in terms of the high press, like it really felt like you got ratcheted up in yeah. the second half. Just what was that adjustment in relation to, in terms of like what you've seen out of Germany in the past three halves of soccer? Yeah, I think... Honestly, I don't think it has to do anything with Germany. I think it has everything to do with us. Um, I'm sure that you guys have heard about mentality <laughs> from my other uh, teammates. I think that that was just like a big theme going into this game. I think we kind of lost that um, over the last game. And I think that this team, that's one thing that you never lose is that mentality. And um, ever since I was 12 years old and playing with the youth teams, like that was just something that like I knew is like the USA mentality. Um, and so I'm glad that everyone, like, we caught fire like that. We caught it again, and we were able to dig deep and just, I mean, that's sometimes what this game is. It's just digging deep and getting it done. And finally, let's end with the captain herself, Becky Sauerbrunn. Yeah, I think what we really wanted to see was a response from the first game, and we felt that, you know, we did a lot of good things, but when it came to getting the job done in the 18s, we didn't do it. Um, and then so we wanted to respond well in this game, and then, of course, we go down, um, and you really have a test of character, and I thought that we showed really well. We know that we weren't winning a lot of tackles in the first half, so we came out in the second, and I think the press was a lot higher, more intensity. I think we were getting stuck in a little bit more. We were interrupting more plays, and then we were hitting them on the counter and got two of those goals. In terms of Mayer's save, calling a real mental moment, yeah. what was your viewpoint of that save? Alyssa has proven herself to make one of those plays in the biggest games that I've ever played with her with, and that's what we need out of our goalkeepers is to keep us in these kind of matches, and that's what she did tonight. This team really did not look entirely like itself in the previous three games. I'm really part of this half team. How would you assess where this team is heading into the World Cup year now? Uh, I think these are the type of games that we needed to play. I think scheduling has been difficult for us. I think we've played, uh, we've wanted to play high quality teams, and I think we've we've done a pretty good job of that. Um, and then we played, you know, the best in the world these last two FIFA breaks. Um, and so it was a good kind of like litmus test where we are in this moment. It's not good enough, and we all know that. And it's a process, and people are building relationships. People are building minutes together against high opponent teams, and we just needed this. We need to know what the intensity is like, what we need to do to actually win a game like this. You can't replicate what we just did out there in in trainings. You know, like we have to play these types of games, and so it's good for us. I mean, we don't want to lose. We definitely don't want to lose two, three times in a row. So to get this win is really important for us to know um, what it feels like, but also to know what defeat feels like against these teams. On Monday night, the players celebrated a big 2022, the CBA, equal pay, you name it. If you have not seen the footage of Rose Lavelle's Celine Dion performance, well, you might be living under a rock, but I can tell you that experiencing it in person was quite possibly one of the best things I've ever seen with my own eyeballs. One news item that did come out of the players' ball, Ashlyn Harris retired from the game, making her speech live in front of so many of her former U.S. Women's National Team teammates and Gotham FC teammates and obviously with Allie Krieger watching on. A lot of emotions, but Harris isn't going too far. The next morning, Gotham announced that she has taken a front office role as the team's new global creative advisor. It has been one of my greatest honors to represent this country. Uh, I started this journey with the Federation at the age of 13. I was a young, young, troubled kid looking for belonging. And I found that here. In a turbulent time in my life, soccer became home, the road became my safe space, and the people became my family. It has been an incredible run. I'm proud of what I've accomplished, but more importantly, I'm proud of the woman I've become. It's funny when you come to an end of something and your mind is flooded with memories, You start to think of the dinners out with the gals, the shopping, the coffee dates, the hallway chats, the December vacations, wandering the streets of Portugal all hours of the night, Abby picking me up on 95 for an RV trip with Cruise America across the country to LA. You know, 
watching Jersey Shore with Sid in her silk bonnet and her Victoria's Secret lingerie, wondering what the hell is going on. Sister Pino never letting me order my own fucking meal for the last 15 years. The list could go on. You see, it's never been about the gold medals, the wins, the losses. Part of this journey has always been the people. So I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for loving me and pushing me to heights I never knew were possible. To my lifers in this room, you have been the greatest gift in this journey. You have kept me going all these years. You've inspired me every day to be better, to not cut corners. You have lifted me when I needed you most. And you were my oxygen when times felt too tough to breathe. I hope in some small way I've impacted your lives the way you've impacted mine. Thank you for loving me unconditionally throughout it all. You will forever be my chosen family. This will be hard. To my wife, I owe everything to this sport because it led me to you. Thank you for supporting me and pushing me to be the best version of myself, both on and off the field. For putting me first all these years and never judging me because of my competitive fire. <laughs> it is literally what I love most about us. We have never brought our competitiveness into our relationship. I would never be where I am without you. Always been a fierce force of light. I love you so deeply, Allie. To my children, Sloan and Ocean, you both give me purpose far beyond the field. I can only hope to continue being the best most stylish mom in the world to you both. Mama loves you so much. And I can't wait to show up every single day the way you both deserve. So I leave you with this, if I can leave you with anything. Never, never, never underestimate the influence you have over people with the platform you've been given. Again, just never underestimate the influence you have over people with the platform you have been given. Continue to be champions of change. Let's leave this game better than we found it. Love to you all. Enjoy the night. On the NWL front, teams announced the current status of their rosters ahead of the official opening of free agency. And Kelly O'Hara wins the distinction of being the first ever NWL free agent to sign with a new team. She's making the move to Gotham FC, but hilariously, we don't actually have contract details yet. At least at the time of recording this episode, we still don't. The NWL announced the details for the 2023 NWL draft. The league is going back to United so uh, Soccer Coaches Convention in January timing, which honestly good news on both counts, I think. Mark the date. It is Thursday, January 12th, as I originally reported back around the championship time, but just settle in for a long night. Now, NWSL, there is still time to change the approach to timeouts, I'm just saying, but we've got the first hour of the draft on CBS Sports Network from 6 to 7 Eastern before coverage shifts to Paramount Plus and CBS Sports HQ from, you ready for this, 7 to 11 p.m. So 6 to 11, a five-hour broadcast window for the draft. Uh, yeah, I know. All right. Also in the draft announcement, a new mechanism for teams to sign players under the age of 18. Finally. And a new mechanism means a new list. So welcome to the chat. Under 18 entry list. Though in better news, spots on this list are not actually tradable assets between the teams. So at least we've got that. Here's the list of the rules with everything riding on the consent of the player as well as a parent or legal guardian. 
Here we go. Each team is limited to two under-18 players between its senior roster and the entry list. Players must be signed to a guaranteed contract within 30 days of being placed on the list, and the contract term must run through the season in which the player turns 18. Players will occupy a full roster spot. Players may be placed on or called up from the list at any time during the season. Players may not be waived or traded until the player has turned 18, or the team has received consent from both the player and the parent or legal guardian. Players may not be selected in the expansion process. Players must reside with a parent or legal guardian until their 18th birthday, and players must be citizens or permanent residents of the United States. And finally, last week the Orlando Pride announced that interim head coach Seb Hines got the interim removed from his title. He's got a multi-year contract with the team now. He earned his A license last year while coaching the Pride, and when he was named interim, he was actually the first black head coach in the NWSL ever, and now he's pretty much doubled up on that distinction as the league's first ever black full-time head coach now, too. Along with the coaching news, Orlando announced some restructuring of the Pride front office, promising increased investment and resources, but this did result in the departure of general manager Ian Fleming. Moving forward, the team is opening up the hiring process for a new role, which is VP of Soccer Ops and General Manager. Before I bring on today's guest first, a few quick notes if you have not actually read this NRG study we're about to discuss. There is a link in the show notes if you want to pause and take a look at any point. It's considerably shorter than the U.S. Women's National Team Collective Bargaining Agreement document. I will absolutely promise you that. The study sets out to answer a few major questions. What increased attention on women's sports actually means if we're truly at this turning point that we all think we're at, and if increased funding, viewership, and interest can help overcome long-standing structural inequities. Here are the study's three key takeaways. First, fans are paying more attention to women's sports than they used to. Almost a third are watching more games than they once did, and as a result, the broadcast rights market for women's sports has enjoyed double-digit growth in most territories. Two, Despite this momentum, there's still a huge discrepancy in how fans approach men's and women's sports. Fans tend to see men's events as more exciting and more competitive and are willing to spend considerably more money on watching men's games and buying merchandise from men's teams. Third, women's events can find an audience when they are given comparable airtime, funding, and media attention. This wave of momentum could results in a true breakthrough for women's sports into the mainstream, but only if broadcasters, sponsors, and policymakers are prepared to make the necessary investment. So, with all that, here's Jay Kaufman, Executive Vice President and Head of Sports at NRG, and Mary Machula, Global Marketing and Communications Director. So, I guess let's just really start with, obviously, there are some takeaways that are listed, you know, front page of this report, and... There's kind of some some good news here and maybe some, we won't call it bad news, we will call it areas of improvement <laughs> that could happen in women's sports. But really, when, when you're trying to get the message of this report out to the general public, like how, how did you determine these are the big three things that we want people walking away if they don't actually read this whole thing? Yeah, I think um, really the whole point of the report was to kind of answer the question, are fans ready to embrace women's sports, right? It says that on the cover. That's that's really what we went in when we were looking at all the data that we had. I think that we wanted to also be realistic um, in where we were. We see so much opportunity, right? There's a lot of trends that are just happening in terms of viewership and, and people talking about women's sports, but we also want to kind of pull out, okay, where do those opportunities exist for the right people? And that's broadly, right? The leagues, the teams, the broadcasters. Um, so we can really provide guidance on like, okay, here's, here's the future opportunity. Here are the real issues. Here's what the great story is. And there is still a gap that we still need to address. Jay, in terms of, you know, when you're putting together a report like this, I mean, really, Obviously, it does go out to the public, but who is the who are you trying to target with a report like this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's for for this one in particular, it's everybody involved in, in <laughs> sports in the women's sports world, right? In sports in general. I mean, it's um because I think it's a collective responsibility. You know, we, we we've talked about this a little bit, but it's not it's not one single group or one single um, entity that's that's kind of responsible um, for this. I think mm-hmm. you're dealing with everybody from um, rights holders to 
the leagues and teams themselves to brands, you know, and, and to some extent fans as well um, to kind of collectively um, understand what's happening um, and come together to make sure that, um, you know, that we're delivering the opportunities and, and, and you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about like supply and demand, but making sure that the demand is there, um, you know, or that supply is, is there to meet the demand when it's out there. So it's, it's, I know it's an easy answer, but it's, it's collectively everybody. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, as just someone who's been in this space for a decade plus, right. And then in some ways been around it even longer, a couple decades now, it, it is, I think it is a challenge because obviously there are a lot of people in a lot of different roles who all kind of have to be pulling in the same direction and, you know, there might be differing priorities. There, there are kind of a lot of legacy people still around who might not understand kind of the, the moment that we're in. I, I almost want to start with this kind of idea of, you know, are people ready to embrace? Are we kind of, you know, one of the big questions at the front of this is, are we actually at this turning point? Because I think at this, you know, in women's sports now, I think turning point, breakthrough, like all of these words have now maybe lost all meaning because we, we, I think we've, We've talked about it after the 2011, well, after 99, after 2011, after 2015, after 2019, at least in women's soccer, right? Like we get this cyclical journey every four years of big, exciting thing. And then we go back to a status quo um, and like a little growth every time. But it, it, it we've seen it time and time again. Uh, the Olympics are very heavily featured in this report. And I think they are a very interesting kind of counterexample in terms of what's possible, but they are still a very cyclical thing of you get these heights of, you know, track and field coverage or, or women's hockey coverage. And then trying to build off of that can be really, really tough. But in terms of, you know, the, the viewership data that you've seen in terms of, you know, the desire and appetite to watch women's sports, I mean, what is kind of like the foundational stuff that you, you found out there in terms of, the change of of patterns of of watching but also even the desire to watch i'll start with one thing um and then i'll pass to jay because he will probably have more but um i think one stat that really stuck out to me and it kind of the same theme that was coming up over and over again was in terms of the people who reported watching more women's sports uh particularly you know in the past year but also over the past five years the reason that they said that, the number one reason, was that there's more being shown. And I think that in and of itself is kind of like, okay, the philosophy of if you build it, they will come, or you know what Jay was saying, the, the supply has to meet the demand. I think that if there's that incremental continued exposure, um, you're gonna be able to answer a whole lot more questions that you haven't been able to in these previous times because there just wasn't as many opportunities for the viewers to just watch and react. Okay. Yeah, yeah, to, to totally agree. And I think um, the fact that we see, you know, in the numbers in the survey, like you know, more and more people saying that they're more interested, that they're watching more, um, you know, especially when you look at the, some of the, the demographic trends in there where you see you know, younger people in particular saying, um, that they're, you know, that they're watching more and, and more engaged. I think that's um, that demonstrates that, that there is an appetite, and it's only going to grow over time. And, and to your original question, I think now, now it is an inflection point because we know that that's there. We know um, just the way that um, kind of the media world is right now. Like, there's a lot of opportunities for um, you know content opportunities in sports, where there's you know, more and more platforms that are getting into sports and looking at rights and trying to fill their um, you know, the, the streaming services with, with content and so forth. And so um, in a lot of ways, like the opportunity exists now to um, provide those, you know, that, that coverage and, and those in, you know, the live games to, to actually watch for these folks that are, um, that have built up this interest over time. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things we'll, we'll get into this a little bit too, but like, you know, the, the difference between men's and women's sports in a lot of cases is kind of the inertia and the generation, you know, generational aspect mm -hmm. behind like, interest. And I think, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of a, um, a cycle here. If we can get um, the, the better coverage and, and um, you know, more games out there and, um, and it can meet that, that you know, demand from the fans that it's only going to, you know, improve over time. And like all these metrics across the board here will, will start to grow as well. It sounds really simple when you say it. <laughs> really simple, right? Easy problem. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just, Hey, you gotta, you gotta get this. Stuff. But I want to talk to you about 
there is this kind of, I think, bigger sports thing now, too, where you have this trend of people going to streaming platforms, right? Like we've seen it with the NWSL where there is this trying to find this balance of final on CBS, right? NWSL gets 915,000 viewers, almost breaking a million. But then so many games are behind a paywall on Paramount Plus, or in some cases, the semifinals, for instance, are on CBS Sports Network, but not mirrored on Paramount Plus. So if you don't have cable, you're not able to watch them. And, you know, you have kind of all these legacy leagues. Like, I totally agree with you. I was born into being a Red Sox fan. There's no, like, I, I'm from Boston. There is no choice about this. Like, it's happening. I, I am um, as well. So we're, we're, we're on the same side here. Yeah. <laughs> so there is this kind of sense of so many of the existing men's leagues have this kind of general generational advantage and you look at something like mls compared to nwsl right now and obviously the media rights deal has gotten a ton of attention but the league has also kind of had a a two decade three decade now advantage of being on television growing a fan base and now they're moving behind a paywall of some sort on Apple TV. And so there is maybe the sense of we have enough of a fan base here to both sustain us and then a way that we can still grow, but also we're getting an absurd amount of money every year. Whereas the NWSL is in this very different boat of you still have to grow, but the entire sports world is trending in this one direction. But to me, like reading the report, like it still seems like for women's sports, the ultimate answer to everything about, growth is still finding the widest platform and coverage that you can find. And I, do we just live in this tension forever? Is there, is it just our easy answer of like, Hey, you got to put more games on TV. It, uh, it's a balance, right? And each property is a little different. Right? And, and like you said, it, it depends on the stage of where you are. And even within men's sports, um, you know, we started a lot, the NBA, like, you know, yeah. NBA is obviously an established property. Um, but when you compare it to MLB, you know, there's, one to two generations of, of fans typically that are, you know, that um, MLB has over the NBA. And so the same holds true to, to, to women's sports. But I, I think, I think the answer is it, it depends. And like, I think what you want to try to do is find a balance. Um, I think uh, having access to as many games as possible for those fans that want to watch is, um, is certainly critically important, but I think um, making sure the most prominent events um, in, in the season, you know, the championship game, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's some similar numbers when you look at um, women's, um, you know, cut the college, you know, the college world series and right. the world series. And, and um, you know, uh, you know, so, some obviously women's basketball, like, like there's, there's some huge numbers out there. And so making sure that um, the biggest um, games are on the biggest platforms are just from an exposure perspective, I think are, it's critically, it's critically important. So it's a balance between the two. Yeah, Mary, I was hoping, you know, there is kind of this overall, and and I've had so many conversations about this, but it's not even just getting the games on TV. It's then also kind of the infrastructure piece around it of knowing where the games are and how to watch them. And, and, you know, we are so used to this infrastructure existing on the men's side of, you know, I mean, it used to be that you could check a newspaper, right, and figure out what time a game is and all that kind of stuff. But you know, you have to, I think, work really hard sometimes to figure out how and where and when you're going to be watching women's sports. And were there any lessons out of this report on that front of maybe what the the path forward on, on that front is? Yeah, so I think one of the themes that came up, and it was um, in the Olympic section, um, it has to do with storytelling and mm-hmm. what happens outside of the broadcast moments. Um, that can be as simple as, you know, a, an advertisement storytelling, or it could be something that's more in depth. Like we've seen some of um, the streaming services do more detailed storytelling on leagues and teams and all that kind of stuff. I think that having that, you know, tangible, emotional, maybe connection um, to some of these leagues and teams, and then maybe you are taking that step to seek it out versus more, oh, I stumbled upon this. And, yeah, passive and, approach. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think let's talk about the Olympics because I, I, I did find that really interesting. I mean, as a, as a soccer writer, the Olympics are always really interesting because obviously I'm trying to cover one primary sport during the Olympics and it always feels like 
the U.S. women's national team, like obviously they they do kind of have their their big moments, but it tends to get a little lost, right? In the the Olympics, it just feels like the floodgates are opening all of the time. But we have seen, especially in the U.S., this kind of mm-hmm. real parity in terms of coverage of the athletes being balanced across the two genders. Or the the biggest takeaways um, in terms of what you saw from viewership data from from like just as a case study, I guess, from what we can learn from Olympic coverage. Jay, um, so so I think I think the main thing is that um, you know when when the, um, the the storytelling, when the coverage, when the um, you know the, the telecasts and, and the events are there, um, you know, and, and and people have the ability to relate to the athletes to the, you know, have, have like a vested interest in what's happening. Um, then the viewers will come, you know, and, it, and that's, I mean, and, and, uh, there is every, um, opportunity for women's sports to be, you know, a- as big over time. And in certain cases, bigger than men's sports, um, you know, depending on, on, you know, what's, you know, what that event is, what the sport is, who's the athletes, et cetera. And so I think, I think what we can do is take, um, is learn from the Olympics and, and figure out a way to, um, you know, to bring that storytelling, bring the, the additional coverage, bring the relatability of like these amazing athletes to other sports, you know, and other properties and make sure that, um, you know, that that playing field is as level as it can possibly be, um, you know, to, you know, to get people used to seeing um, these great athletes and, and kind of build that, that interest over time. So it's, it's almost like the perfect case study as to like, what can happen in some of these other properties if, you know, the time, the investment, the energy is like is put to doing that, and it's it's not a it's not an impossible um, situation here. It's very it's very doable. Um, again, without simplifying it, if if all these pieces come together the right way. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we can use the Boston Red Sox as an example, right? Like when you think about the coverage of the team, not just within a season in terms of like the the micro level coverage of game to game, where you can read a box score or figure out what happened, watch highlights, all that kind of stuff. There's also the macro level of storytelling, but then, you know, baseball off season is still a time of a, a huge amount of coverage, but people are, are trying to set up storylines for next year, right? Like is, is this reliever going to be ready for, for next year? You know, like there's an injury watch, there's all of this kind of narrative that continues and does not just simply stop <laughs> at the yeah. end of the year. And that's, I think where there there has been really great frustration on the women's sports side of we we see these moments of coverage, especially around again major events. Um, but the the gap, right? Like, I mean, again, we can talk about this perceptual gap that that is written about a lot in the study of how do you un, like? I, I guess my big question is like, how do we convince other people that there is value in that coverage when? especially I think sometimes like there is not that kind of instant reward, right? Because you get that instant reward in men's sports because it has been built over decades and decades and decades. So it works. That is not necessarily the case in women's sports. I mean, do you think that there's, there's data coming out of this or is it just kind of that leap of faith where people are going to have to make the investment and wait for it to pay off? So are you talking, are you talking from the fan perspective? I mean, from the, no, from like a media broadcast, you know, like all the people who are kind of in that, that media infrastructure of women's sports, right? Like a a rights holder. So CBS having big, you know, pregame, postgame shows for, for every game potentially, or, or, you know, like we get it for the big moments, but not necessarily in and out week by week. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think the numbers themselves, like like it's a big a big part of this, and something that I talk about a lot is that um, women's sports should not be viewed as like a cause in any way, yeah. like like right. It's not like it's it's not a like let's invest. You know, like if brands, if whoever are investing, like the the point is that it's a good business investment. It's a good business case. Like if you look at you know you mentioned that this the you know NWSL numbers on CBS, but like. You know that the you mentioned that the college softball World Series did like 1.7 million mm-hmm. on ESPN, and that was like more than the men's World Series. You know, like the NCAA basketball game, the women's basketball game, did almost five million viewers, and like that's right. like it was like the highest in almost 20 years. And like that, you put that up against almost anything in prime time. You know, like certainly any, any any sports in prime time. And so, 
like I think I think the biggest thing on the media side and, and like yes the ESPNs of the world like I think they've made a lot of you know they they they've made a lot of um, investment they, they it's it's very high on their radar as well to, to their credit um, but I think the you know they wouldn't be doing that if it wasn't a good yeah. business case right and so I think I think the numbers justify themselves and I think when you start to like dissect what's happening and then you get again into the demographics and like who's watching like um, there's a reason why more and more of these um, you know, bit, you know, prominent women's sports are like ending up in not just on on the networks, but like in good windows and in you know in in mm-hmm. prime time or in key you know in key spots. And I think that's that's just because like they're performing, and so you know as as that continues to happen, I, I only expect there to be more and more um, opportunities there. Yeah, yeah, we build on that just real quick. We called out in the report as well some of the segments that are like most latching on to women's sports. And I think just like any other investment, if if you look at those groups, you see opportunity and you can target them in whatever way that you think is most effective. So there's, there is that just like natural, here's, here's where the opportunity exists and you're going to, it's going to pay off for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think what <laughs> there is kind of, again, still so much work to be done. I want, I want to also sidestep maybe into a, a slightly different area, but one that I've, I found this data to be some of the most interesting in this report because there were the, the comparisons between people who watch men's sports and people watch women's sports. And I mean, it, it went from, you know, like more exciting, all of that kind of stuff, but also the, the numbers that I found really, really interesting were actually about like willingness to spend money because it almost did not line up with what I have seen in women's and to be fair, I'm very embedded, right? Like, so I'm not maybe talking to the more casual fan, but what we have seen this trend, I think across women's sports is that the demand for merchandise has grown so, so drastically and to the point where they can't keep up, right? U.S. Women's National Team jerseys were selling, like they were one of the, the best sellers at Nike, couldn't keep them in stock, um, NWL has always, I think, struggled to meet demand in terms of jerseys. We're we're seeing this kind of growth in that point, but then the data in the report suggests that there is still maybe overall this greater reluctance to spend money on merchandise, on tickets for women's sports. And and where do you see, I guess, that trend in terms of like maybe who are the people responding to that? Um, but also, you know, is there a way where maybe both of like my anecdotal mind is, is maybe uh, can mesh with what the data actually says on that front. Yeah, one, one piece of that data point um, that I think adds a little bit of nuance and there's nuance to everything, but I think it, those responses were based off of, you know, people who self-reported being fans of women's sports and people who self-reported being sports fans in general largely there was a very big overlap between um, they were also fans of men's sports. So mm-hmm. I think potentially, um, you know, there it came as like a comparison question, right? Um, you're looking at how much you're willing to spend on the men's and women's and you're a fan of both. Um, so that's just one level of nuance. I think that, you know, it impacts that uh, response there. Right. Yeah. I think, I think like, it, it can be simultaneously true that people are more and more engaged with women's sports, but still when compared de- directly to men's sports and for the reasons we talked about that, some of the generational stuff, like they still might not, the women's sports, um, whether it's spending, whether it's we're spending on merch, whether it's spending on um, media coverage, whatever it is, like they, it's still, you know, they still may not win out, but, the, but it doesn't mean that, you know, that that's one of the areas where I think we would hope over time that like as, um, you, you get kind of that, that generational element and you build ties with teams and you like build ties with athletes that like, um, that starts to flip a little bit. And mm-hmm. even now it's going to, that, that one's going to take a while, right. um, obviously. Um, but, but I think it's, we shouldn't, I, I think if you, I think if you look at it in terms of are the diehard women's sports fans willing to pay? Yes. I yeah. think now it's getting those, those more casual fans, like you said, are those people that have an awful lot of choices in sports and are, mm-hmm. are like, and maybe in some cases, limited dollars, limited time to, to dedicate to prioritize like women's sports in those cases. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, I think it has been interesting just watching kind of ticket pricing change even within, you know, the past decade of the league in terms of like what people were were paying at the start and to where it is now in terms of, you know, you think about like Angel City FC and just saying like, oh, no, no, we're we should be right up there with the guys like we are we are a valuable ticket and you will get your money's worth. But you're going to you're going to pay to be here because it is actually like it's worth something to be here. So I think it has been a really interesting thing to kind of watch that growth of there's, there's a, like it, it's still, I think more, you know, when you, when you like look at those studies of how many, how much money does it take to get a family of four into a game and get like a hot dog or what, you know, like, I feel like I see those all the time and the, the prices are obviously like an NFL game is just kind of absurd. Right. And then you compare that to a women's sports event and it's always going to be, I think a very different, thing but the numbers are i think kind of growing i I think that that makes sense i think i think the environment in a lot of cases or perceived environment around women's sports is also significantly better than men's like i think like that one of the things we found was that like just the atmosphere was more family friendly and there were less issues and um that you know they it was in in a lot of cases like less commercial Mm um you know for, for better or worse but i think um i think that they're a lot of those, um, it, it's something that women's sports can take advantage of in a lot of ways. If it's like both, both the price piece and kind of the environment piece that like, um, and especially again, when you go back to these like youth numbers and kind of the younger population, like um, it seems like a better fit for younger sports fans to go physically to a game and kind of have the experience that they're looking for. Yeah, it's honestly very fascinating to me because I think one of the big pain points, especially in women's soccer has been, like, it's not to say that I, I do think like Gen Z obviously is a huge target area, but I think there has been a real push to say, OK, we're, we're going to start marketing outside of like youth soccer clubs. Right. And to adults who can get there <laughs> on a to a game on their own and can buy alcohol and can mm-hmm. have a good time and buy merch and they have their own, you know, credit or debit card and can can charge and buy things. Right. And that has been, I think, kind of a culture shift in in women's soccer kind of throughout the years in terms of. You know, I, I remember going to plenty of games and it's just the sound of eight to 14 year old girls yelling. And and it sounds a little different these days. And I think that's been a long kind of project um, in terms of, I guess, you know, I want to talk about this kind of big supply and demand concept here um, because you've got to balance getting people in stadiums with getting people to watch on TV, right? And how do you make both of those things as worth it as possible? Because I think they also, they benefit each other, right? The the bigger viewership numbers, the more stuff you're going to get, the more people in seats, the better it's going to look on TV. All this stuff kind of 
goes into the same kind of virtuous cycle. But um, one of the one of the things kind of in the the report that I thought was really interesting too is that when you surveyed people about like who they know from the world of women's sports, it's a lot of people who aren't actually playing <laughs> right now. Like for soccer, the number one name was Mia Hamm, which honestly did not surprise me. But how do you get, you know, Sophia Smith to be a household? Like, yeah, all of this stuff is connected. So I guess what is how is the the future of women's sports maybe a little more dependent on getting some of that storytelling name recognition, all that kind of big stuff going? Yeah. Um, big project. Yeah, I think but I think it's I think it's actually one of the most important findings that is actionable in in this study for all the people we talked about, the rights holders, media, mm -hmm. et cetera, brands. Um, like that's a that's a problem, right? It's you're always gonna have big time former athletes that make any of these lists. Like Michael Jordan still pops up on you know most popular athletes lit lists and whatnot. But like, you know, there, there's no reason why, you know, Roosevelt, Sophia Smith, Asia Wilson, like these are like superstar athletes, like the best, you know, young, you know, young athletes in, in the world. And like there's no it, it's a problem if they're not on this list in the next in the next year or two or three or whatever it is. Like that's that's a that we're doing a disservice to mm -hmm. to them. We're doing a disservice to women's sports if like um, collectively we can't build coverage, build like relatability, build exposure for like these athletes that like um, are, are incredible athletes. Like when you like any way you look at it, the skill level, the, the you know the intensity, the competition, like all of these things. Like these these are like tremendous players and like um while it's great that you know clearly the venuses and serenas and mia hams and like they, like they're you know they're they're gonna have a place in people's minds and um and, and they should but i think it has to be more balanced with like current athletes and like ideally like younger current athletes that like um, people can spend the next 10 to 15 years with and like build those relationships like that's it's one of the most important things i think that um women's sports can have moving forward is like that is like you know, having these, um, the, you know, these, these athletes that like everyone can point to and say like, they are the best. And, like we enjoy watching them. Like when, are, when's Asia playing? Like when's, you yeah. know, like, and, and like even, even being, and that's whether it's on TV, whether it's in, in stadium, like they're special athletes. And like, you, you know, you, you go to these games, like you, you know where they are in the field. Like, you right. know, like, everyone's kind of like, like, you know, they have like a spotlight on them and like, you know, and, and I think um, doing whatever we can to adjust that list is is uh is is really important moving forward. Just in terms of, I guess the where investment might pay off the fastest. Um, do you think it's? I mean, obviously there's there's a lot of data in here about media rights and, and viewership and everything, but in terms of investment beyond maybe just like if someone's going to acquire the rights to the WNBA for instance, right? Like out from under ESPN, ABC, Disney, um, they said, you know, we want to put this on a rocket ship, right? Like, do you think that they're the data that you have seen and, and maybe the overall trends that you have seen presents kind of this, a, a path to kind of accelerating the growth in a way that, you know, we're not going to be waiting another 25 years for, these leagues to kind of be really like in the mix for attention, Marion. I know you're, you're not like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, there's just ever, it, it's that same point again of everything around it. I think, you know, it's not just putting something on television, right. It's mm -hmm. who, who do you have in your lineup who is really good at talking about the game and who do you have, you know, going to the game beforehand, creating hype that way. What are you doing beyond that that is going to help build that storytelling, build those relationships, help create the inertia that already exists for men's sports and really get people to, as Jay was saying, grow up with athletes? I think it's it's everything around it, which is a big, big <laughs> answer, but it is everything around it. It's not just putting it on the platform. Yeah, I think, I think there's a I think. Um all of that. And I think like making sure um, another thing that came up both in this research and in other work that we've done um, at Energy um, is, is like representation in mm -hmm. general. And it's like, not just 
you know, there's obviously the athletes, but I think it's, it's, you know, we, there's points in here about, you know, referees and coaches and whatnot, but like, you know, um, commentators, like just making sure that like, like a theme that always came up and it was particularly around female sports fans, but like, there are a lot of female sports fans and like, um, you know, and I think it, 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 it goes across gender. It goes across, you know, all, all demographics is like, if you see people speaking knowledgeably and like, and, you know, on the telecast in the, in the stadium, um, you know, it, it just, it, it makes you more likely to, um, you know, to want to, want to go want to watch, want mm-hmm. to be engaged. Um, and I think making sure that whatever rights holder, whatever brand, whoever's doing that, like, um, has that in the back of their mind with whatever they're doing, I think is a really important piece of this too. All right. I want to, I want to end with a topic that I think, so I did, uh, I've done a couple surveys of NWSL fans throughout the years, just in terms of like checking in with them. And, and one of, I think the best questions, and this is when I did surveys and let people like write in their own answers, which I will never do again. Cause when you get 2000 <laughs> answers, you're like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to dig through this, but one of them was, and this is a couple years ago now, so I think the NWSL has its own stuff, but like, what is the biggest challenge facing the NWSL? And an answer that got written in to a level that I would never have anticipated was just honestly sexism. <laughs> like, it was just straight up that kind of, you know, it, it's kind of not necessarily specifically called out in the report, but that is kind of, the I think, the root cause of some of the structural inequities that we have seen. in the sports world and you know i think that there has been some real progress on this front but i think about you know the way that i've had to cover the team um and and women's sports in general like there is still a lot of oh you can't celebrate like this oh you know like (laughs) ashlyn harris just retired from from women's soccer and like you know she did that whole live post from their 2019 world cup celebrations and the non-stop partying for essentially i think 72 hours if not more um and there was you get this whole like moral dilemma of should female athletes even act like this right there's still so much stuff i think baked into this world inertia is is maybe part of it um i guess you know is is that something that we almost just kind of have to wait for it to go? Like, I think there's a way to push, but can, can kind of like, you know, I think about Alexis Ohanian, who's now an NWSL owner and he's basically like facts, not feelings, right? Like that's one of his real uh, catchphrases around the NWSL of like, we're going to prove our point and we don't really care um, what a lot of these people think about it. Um, But how, you know, how can reports like this, how can some of the work and investment that that hopefully comes out of stuff like this break down some of of this kind of like really deep seated structural societal st- like it's a big question. I don't think we're going to solve it on this podcast, but, um, you know, what what have you have you kind of seen that in terms of some of this work? Mary? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that was nice to see was that in terms of reasons why people are not watching women's sports or are watching men's sports more, the self-reported responses, there was not a lot of like outright sexist comments. Obviously that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, um, but it wasn't what was coming to the surface. And there was a lot of responses related to, we want to see, more women referees, like uh, Jay was saying, there was there was a lot of responses that seemed like, okay, we're we're at least trending in the right direction. And we said in the report, maybe people are overstating how much they feel strongly about that, but at least they feel that they should be saying that. Um, so I think that we're seeing positive momentum. I think reports like this can also just kind of like break down some of the maybe stereotypes that you might have had um, in terms of nobody watches. Like if you look at the data, it's there. If you, you know, look at what people are saying about the sport and everything, numbers are there to help counter that. Um, So I think that can help with that aspect of it. Yeah. I I think the other, a couple, a couple things too. So it was nice to see that um, across the board um, and in particular with male sports fans, um, the, the general feeling was that um, 
they, they're in support of anything that will help, um, you know, uh, uh, whether it was legislation, whether it was like, you know, rule, like regulations that, that will help like provide the balance of, um, you know, be, between men's and women's sports and provide those opportunities. So again, like whether that's overstated or not, like who, who knows, but like the, the, there was really strong support from, from male sports fans that like, this is the right thing to do. Um, I'm almost more concerned, it, it, you know, and we didn't, we didn't get into this too, but I think there's also an interesting piece around um, uh, pe uh, people with their sports fans with, with daughters, you know, mm -hmm. with kids in general, like that's, and, I, and as the father of a five-year-old girl, like I, I definitely feel even stronger than I did even when I was working with the WNBA and whatnot, like there's a, there's a personal element to it. But I think the, the other piece that I'm, I'm mostly, I'm more concerned about in some ways is like, the indirect sex sexism or like the, uh, the, un, like, um, the, the stuff around like the product itself and like the athletes like that, that, that's the stuff that I think, um, you know, we need to try to keep an eye on and, and see like, there's no, there's no, the, the number of people that said like, listen, I think that like the men's sports are more, um, entertaining there, there, there's better competition. There, there's more athleticism, like, like that, that's the stuff that, um, seems like there's, um, some level of whether it's whether it's purposeful or not like you know sexism is probably too strong in that case but like but a think, bias right like a, right, like, right. This, yeah. this, this some level of bias and i think like, like that like I, you, you can't watch some of these female athletes and like and not and question the athleticism and like question the competitiveness and, and so i think as there's more exposure as it, it, again it's a cycle as as that's the case i i would expect those numbers to balance out a little bit but that that's the stuff that like like people shouldn't be questioning the product itself like it, it is it, like in a lot of these cases like it's a very strong project it's just a matter of getting in front of um as many people as possible yeah and it, it's not just a matter of getting it in front of as many people as possible it's also getting that kind of production value right that we're used to with men's sports like i think it uh, that's a huge piece of it too of like does it look like what we're used to watching or does it look like it's being filmed on a potato? Because sometimes it looks like it's being filmed on a potato. Yep. And that's been, I think, a real struggle for women's leagues where if the resources aren't there, yep. you're not able to to say, like, listen, if you come to a game, you're going to be amazed. But if you're trying to watch it on a stream right. via a potato, like, it, it, it is, could be the best game of your life. And you're going to be like, that was terrible. Yeah. Is there pregame? Is there postgame? What's the commentary around it? Like, what are, you know, again, like, what are brands doing? Like, what are brands doing around, like, the, the, the matches, what it, you know, all, all that stuff is, is I don't want to say more important than the live game, but, uh, you know, a big part of the puzzle for sure. Yeah. All right. Any closing thoughts in terms of, you know, maybe where for, for folks who are listening to the, the show, you know, is there an action item? Obviously like they're not out here probably thinking about like, Oh yeah, I got to go out and buy media rights to a league. Right. But what is the role of the, the person who listens to a podcast about women's sports like what, how do they get to, to use their, their vote essentially to say, Hey, we want more of this. You want me to go first? Uh, yeah. I, I, so, so I think um, you brought up voting. I think it's similar in some ways, right? Like, I think it's like uh, in some ways, like educating yourselves on all of the opportunities and options that are out there and like um, in making sure that you're exposed to as many different um, types of sports, types of games. Like, like, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a disservice to sports fans out there if they don't at least sample, um, you know, some of the properties that are out there, just, just, just to see what they like, you know? And I think like, you know, if, if people, if people watch, you know, um, NWSL games and it's in the, in the, they're, you know, they don't, they're not as interested or they can't get attached or whatever. Well, you know, like they they'll maybe, maybe it's the WNBA, maybe it's whatever it is. And, and mm -hmm. but I think, um, I feel confident enough in the product again that if people just take the time to um, to build up exposure to to, to the to the leagues, to the properties, to the teams, to, to the athletes, like I think um, you'll you'll find a natural a, a better natural balance in terms of how you're spending a time your time, and you'll gravitate to um, to the games, to the sports that like um, are interesting to you, regardless of gender. And I think that's that's probably the piece I would say that everybody can kind of focus on. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> 
Well, I definitely appreciate the time from from both of you. And, you know, there there's going to be a link for folks to read this report. Again, it is, I was joking, like it's it's a it's a much lighter read than the U.S. Women's National Team Collective Bargaining Association <laughs> Agreement, which is, you know, 130 pages. Um, there's illustrations, there's number like it's it's very, I think, approachable in terms of of trying to read it. But yeah, I definitely appreciate the time and and all the work that went into it. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Meg. Appreciate it. Thank you to Jay and Mary for the time today. Again, if you want to look through the study, I've got that link right to it in the show notes for you. For all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more information about the show. If you'd like to subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage, you can do that right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. My name is Meg. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm still on Twitter, at least as of right now, at It's Meg Linehan. It's the same handle for Instagram, but I am now fully in Vermont snow mode, just as a heads up. And of course, all of my work is at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg. Thanks for listening.